Hello, and welcome to Shared Space, a podcast about the power of architecture and design to make us healthier, happier, and more connected. I'm your host, Erin Peavy, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. I had such a wonderful time talking with our guest for this episode. We explore how the built environment can foster equity, diversity, and inclusion, and yet how often it's purposefully designed to exclude. Her story is really an inspiration for anyone thinking about going into a field or already is a part of a field and looks around and feels like they don't see themselves represented. Either their skin color or their ideas or their way of thinking And in so many ways, she let pain be her guide and created something uniquely special and life-giving. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. It has felt like a gift for me to be able to share her story. My guest is the founder and executive director of Chicago Mobile Makers, an award-winning nonprofit organization bringing design-focused workshops to underrepresented communities. She's someone who believes strongly that architecture should not be a privilege and must expand to accommodate more people through teaching and community engagement. And it is beautiful the way that she lives this out every day. So welcome, Maya Bird Murphy. Thank you so much. Um, Awesome. So I'm super excited to have you here today to talk about Chicago Mobile Makers and um, what it's been like to create this place and space for connecting a community around design. I, I still, my mind is blown by the fact that you did this while working full time, completing your master's. Is that true? That is true. It was a, <laughs> it was a crazy time. <laughs> I bet. So, so tell me a little bit more about the genesis behind this. What what made you, what sort of started you down on this route and what started you down? So t- tell me a tiny bit about your background um, and how you came to architecture. Yeah, I'll just start like from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I find that it's the best place to start um, with this story. But I, I was just telling you, I grew up in Oak Park, um, mm-hmm. Illinois. And that's the first suburb west of Chicago. And a lot of people know this place because of Frank Lloyd Wright. And that's where his home and studio is. Yes. Yeah. Just a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. And so I have now realized I have toured there. That is why that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so many people have just come through. And that's usually why people are coming to Oak Park is for Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. Um, So I always knew about architecture because you know everything everybody talked about Frank Lloyd Wright we were constantly hearing about him um and so I was like it's just so different I can't think of any other community where you're like the entire the entire place is you know filled with yeah that's awesome okay sorry go on it's definitely strange and and like actually in college I came back to we did a Chicago trip we like came mm-hmm. to the park and I was like, I see this stuff all the time. And this is not this is not cool. Like <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so I grew up there. I knew about architecture very early. I didn't have to like go searching to know about it or anything. Um, because it was just yeah. kind of surrounding me. Yeah. And 
I didn't, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I knew I wanted to be an architect at five or something. Like I, I mm-hmm. didn't really know. And I didn't make the decision to go into architecture until like right before college. Um, mm-hmm. But I did end up going to architecture school at Ball State. Um, and it was definitely not a first choice, but it was mm-hmm. affordable. It was close to home, but yeah. far enough that I felt like I was kind of getting away. Um, and so I went here, you know, I grew up in Oak Park, which is very diverse. And then I mm-hmm. went to Muncie, Indiana, which <laughs> not so much. And especially Ball State, it, I think it was like 8% black or something like that in the, in like 20,000 kids or something. Yeah. Um, so it was like a culture shock, honestly, going there. Uh, it was kind of hard at times. Um, and so this, I tell this part of the story just because I definitely was like collecting feelings in my mind, I guess, as mm-hmm. I was going through life and going through college about, mm-hmm. you know, what would become Chicago Mobile Makers. Mm-hmm. Um, so school was uncomfortable a lot because, you know, we were only learning about white there were very few non-white architects that we learned about. We were never talking about social architecture. It was always, mm-hmm. um, you know, star architects and like, um, you know, Frank Gehry and, you know, everybody. Yeah. That. And so I would do projects through a social lens and like, it would be like looked down upon pretty much mm-hmm. where like my work wasn't respected as much because I was trying to Just... solve real problems. <laughs> blows my mind um I experienced a little bit of that in school and I was just like are you kidding me people what in the world really crazy yeah Um, and so you know I was really I actually graduated early because I was ready to get out of there and (laughs) um I was thinking that Chicago would be so much better I was gonna come home Mm -hmm. and then I started working in firms that I was the only black person so it nothing changed (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I I already knew that I wasn't going to be someone who was going to work 40 hours a week in an office. Like I already knew that before I even did it. And then I just did it because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, And then figured out that that wasn't going to work for me. And so I started kind of looking outside of traditional architecture to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um. And so I went back to school and specifically, like I talked to the dean before I even applied to Boston Architectural College where I did my grad school. But I was like, Mm -hmm. I have this idea and I want to do it for my thesis. And like, is that going to be okay? Um, Are you you serious? It's so exciting. (laughs) And I mean, I I had some idea of what I wanted to do, but I knew that Mm -hmm. it was not traditional. So I wanted to make sure that I like that I wasn't going to get to thesis and they're going to be like, no, mm. I can't do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started school. I was working full time during school. Um, oh my God. It was in an architecture firm cool. or somewhere else. Yeah. Architecture firm. Girl. Um, it was, it was, it was an sounds like a time. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a real interesting time. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, I mean, the program is made for people who work full time. So mm-hmm. Um, that made it better, but I was definitely working all the time. Um, so 
I got to my second year of grad school and finally got to my thesis project and that was the first time I really had time to just like sit down and like think about all these feelings and all these experiences mm-hmm. that I, I had through mostly college and then mm-hmm. that's when Chicago Moldmakers kind of came together um, so all the research and development was done and I actually designed the truck it's it's a very different truck than, than what is here in real life but that's where yeah. I designed the truck can I ask, like, how, like, what was your process when you say, like, that's the time that I sat down and listened to my feelings? Like, what did that look like? Were you journaling? Were you talking with friends? Were you like going on long walks? Like, what? Yeah, like, like t- talk me through that. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't even remember. <laughs> it was just <laughs> such a blur. You're like, I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. I mean, it was mostly like doing assignments for my thesis professor. So I would say that. Mm-hmm. I was mostly talking it out with him and my other classmates were there. There were like six or seven other people. Uh, So we were really a close knit group. And so we were constantly talking to each other like online because it was a mostly online program. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's how I kind of just flush. I finally got to like flush out all of the, all of the ideas and then put them into some kind of organized thing that, became a business which I give my thesis professor credit for that mostly because he has started businesses himself and so I feel like he pushed me to like really think about how it could be a real thing yeah that's awesome yeah like is that why you selected him or no it was totally random I didn't know that I would have him yeah isn't that like such kismet of of like when those types of things happen and you're like it's not that it wouldn't have worked out but I'm just not sure it would have actually become a like what it is today Um, yeah and I think about that for my entire like grad school experience because I'm like I said I reached out to the dean and she was all for Mm -hmm. it but Mm -hmm. there were many like people on crits and oh you know that that were like why is this needed this isn't architecture, blah, blah, blah. So like, I, I knew that I had the, the dean and my professor on my side and like, that's all that mattered. And like, can I just say like, I, I mean, it so resonates with so much that I've experienced taking a different path. And I just like the power of champions, the power of those people that get you um and make it okay when other people don't um yeah. I just I'm like shout out to all of them because yeah. they're amazing <laughs> like may we all be that for somebody else and yeah. I mean it sounds like that's exactly what you guys are are doing and what you are now for a lot of other people so okay so like walk us through what is Chicago Mobile Makers sure so we are a nonprofit organization in Chicago, and we do design thinking and problem solving workshops all over the city. So it's not strictly, you know, I have an architecture background, but it's not strictly architecture. I like to say mm-hmm. it's design thinking and problem solving because those are like very basic skills that all of us need. And I think schools don't always prioritize that kind of education. Can you tell us a little bit about what design thinking is for anyone that's not familiar 
with it and sort of what you see as the role of, of design thinking both um, in community with other people and maybe individually? Yeah, so I think the the definition of design thinking that I like to use is like knowing exactly how to go through the design process. So you're using the design process to just like an everyday way to solve a problem or um, to figure out a solution to something. So mm-hmm. I think that that is really helpful, obviously, in the design fields, but also in STEM and people are thinking about design thinking a lot more these days because yeah it I think that it touches like science and technology and you know STEM (laughs) Um, yeah and all all I mean to me all of life in a lot of ways I mean like just thinking about well how do you so many of the easy problems today are are like solved right Mm -hmm. um and all we're left with is a lot of complex things that don't have just a a single answer and I feel like design thinking is such a great um, method of of approaching those types of problems yeah Um, and I think it also is great like I always have kids present like proposals and so mm -hmm. they're going through the entire design thinking process so that they can figure out or at least propose solutions to problems and then Mm-hmm. And share out all of those solutions. So I think it's a whole, it's an entire kind of system. So that's okay. So good, good. Uh, one of the things that, so you hadn't necessarily, this is the first time I heard you mention kids specifically, but it is, it, I, and you know, there's, I'm learning about it. I've, I've read about it online, but it seems to be geared primarily to kids. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Yes, accurate. So it's, okay. I would say, we are usually um we usually have workshops for kids like age 8 to 18 which is a pretty nice. big um <laughs> you know, range but we have specific programs that work for you know different age groups so what made you like you know you said that you went into your um master sort of with this idea and then fleshing it out like what made you say Hey, I want to take design thinking around. Like, I need a I need a van to do design mm-hmm. thinking with kids. Like, how like how did that like kind of talk me through that that journey? Sure. So I would say it probably started with um, during my thesis. I asked two questions: um, How can we diversify the design fields, and how can we improve disinvested communities? Mm-hmm. And can those two things happen simultaneously? So yeah. I think that I started thinking about kids because, you know, the design field has a huge diversity problem and um, there are not, you know, there are a lot of black and brown people coming through um, school and everything. But like I said, growing up in Oak Park, I knew about mm-hmm. architecture and like it wasn't that crazy for me to think that I could do that. And mm-hmm. so if you think about, um, you know, in Chicago on the south and west sides, it's mostly black and brown communities and mm-hmm. low income communities. And if they are never seeing building happening in their in their community yeah. at all, why would you ever think, yeah. oh, I'm going to go 
I mean, you would just never have the thought to even say, I'm going to design a building. Like who, somebody has to plant that in your mind yeah. for you to ever even really know about it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I started thinking about kids. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of this is about exposure and exposing people really young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also about empowering kids and giving kids skills to actually be able to get there and support to, to get there. So, um, that's where the van comes in where actually like, let me say that we, we started all of this in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for two and a half years, we've been, you know, operating without a truck. So what we've been doing since then mm-hmm. is just going into classrooms, going into like a normal regular classroom during the day. So we might mm-hmm. go into a math class. We've been in a history class before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what the van does and it is it gives us it kind of expands what we can do. We can do more construction yeah. and digital fabrication um, workshops. So that's the skill building. And so we are giving kids the skills to actually kind of change their own environments, but then also change, you know, maybe their what what they plan to do in their own lives. Mm -hmm. I love that. So like, can you tell us like a little bit about what's, what's a potential thing? Like when you go into the classroom, what does that look like? What are you guys, what are you guys talking about? What type of problems are you trying to solve? Yeah. The main workshop we do is usually about 10 weeks long and we go in Mm -hmm. once a week. Um, we're actually like solving a community problem. So, I, before the workshop starts, I find a site that's near, let's say near their school that Mm -hmm. is underutilized. So we've done empty lots. We've done, you know, parking lots that are not nice looking. Yeah. Um, And they're actually proposing what should be there. So Mm -hmm. the entire design process with them, Mm -hmm. we're doing mapping and analysis we're doing a SWAT challenge, which is like strengths, weaknesses, Ooh. opportunities, threats. Um, I love that. Yeah, we're, um, you know, they get to learn how to do, in this one, they get to learn how to do a floor plan and mm-hmm. they learn about program and they actually- And program for anyone that doesn't know is sort of like what goes into the building. Like what, which spaces, you know, do you need a bathroom and some rooms or um, a mm-hmm. kitchen or, yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. And even more broadly, like, I think we think of it. I always say that this needs to be like super relevant for kids. So we can like cut out some of the stuff that like architects sometimes think that they need to teach kids specific things like scale, for instance. Mm. (laughs) And it's just not. I feel you. So that's my like main complaint about about some other programs. It's great that people are doing programs for kids, but I think that we're trying to be as relevant to each kid as possible. So we're we're tackling a problem that's in their neighborhood that they might walk past every single day. Yes. Um, and then we're not teaching them any like we're taking out the ego of architecture and only. Yes only tackling things that they can use 
later. Uh, oh, well, so yeah. Like Maya, I'm almost like grateful <laughs> to the professors that you had that like didn't listen when you were like, this matters because it feels like it like fueled you to make that change. And like, we need that change. I just, yeah. Oh, I love it. A lot of fuel. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fuel. Yeah. Um, so okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Keep going. Oh, well, after they do all of that, they just kind of propose what they would like to see there. And in this case, mm-hmm. it's a building, but I think in the future we'll see, you know, a product or um, mm-hmm. once we have digital fabrication machines and things like that, like mm-hmm. laser cutter, 3D printer, we can kind of expand to other things like buildings. And then a big thing, like I said before, is them sharing out. So we like to do final presentations yeah. and it is kind of like a little critique. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, we'll have local designers come in and ask oh questions God. after they present. <laughs> and it's always very cute and fun. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, okay. So that is just like the greatest. Um, so a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is around creating spaces of connection. And I think it's especially cool that you've created a space for connection that teaches people how to create like more places for, for potential connection. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of ask kind of two different layers of questions. So one is around like, what does it meant to you to um, both like in physical form, maybe with the van to, to create a place where, you know, these students can come together and connect. And then also with, um, with like just in any space that you go into sort of creating a safe space for connection. Um, so I'll start with that question. Um, so the, the van, I'll tell you a little more about the van. Um, so I did design the van in thesis because I needed, you know, it was a master of architecture. I needed to do something (laughs) actual. Um, (laughs) so I took concepts from that and designed a smaller van and we we actually Mm -hmm. bought the van in may of 2019 and Mm -hmm. an old like retired usps truck Mm -hmm. and so it's it has about 12 feet by nine feet in the back Mm -hmm. um so we well i designed um and kind of redesigned and redesigned the back of that and then finally found people who were willing to work on the project which was a little Mm -hmm. bit hard to find just because it was you know it's kind of a weird project Mm -hmm. um and so during the summer of 2019 um we did a lot of fundraising and then it took Mm -hmm. like a full year and we we just finished the build out and um it features birch plywood cabinetry and kind of this birch, these birch plywood panels on top with um, recessed lighting. And there's some like soft seating, like a bench. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so it's supposed to be like a roomy and a comfy place to be, but it mm-hmm. also has like a lot of storage for tools. And we plan to have power tools, hand tools, um, a th- we have a 3D printer in there, and then we're also going to eventually get a laser cutter. Um, and it's created so that it's really easy to take stuff off the truck because it's not a very big space. 
Yeah. Um, and so it will be really easy to go work outside. And I think the mm-hmm. coolest part of the truck, which at first I had no clue how I was going to, you know, figure this out. But mm-hmm. I thought that I was going to need a generator to mm-hmm. power everything. Um, but we found this guy who is like an expert in in auto electric stuff. So mm-hmm. he like let us know that no, you don't need a generator. Um, but we have like solar panels on the roof. And oh, cool. Outlets. <laughs> and um, he put in like there's like a little breaker box in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything runs just like super quietly. Um, oh, and awesome. we can power like any tool that we could could possibly need, which is very cool. That's so cool. So yeah, this is it's supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to be this tool that we can use to to build things, but mm-hmm. it's also a place for people to connect and and it's supposed to feel, you know, like the the color palette and everything was supposed to feel safe and comfortable. Um, and yeah, I hope it's kind of this community gathering thing where we can park somewhere, like it could be you know, an empty lot, and then we can kind of activate the the lot and have workshops there um Mm -hmm. or we can do you know not now but probably next summer we'll try to go to different street festivals um and and pop-ups there so it definitely is a place to to connect and that's kind of the purpose of it Mm -hmm. that's awesome um yeah, that's really cool. I so I wrote a report on um like sort of digging into the research and looking at third places. So essentially, you know, if if home is a first place that's sort of private and for or informal and work is or school is that, you know, public but but formal, well what's that third place? And um sure. one of the things that we talk about is activation um and how important that is and I love that you know, it's sort of traveling activation and, and finding and sort of how it, I think right now, especially in the pandemic, we're seeing like our streets being activated. And I love the idea of how you, I mean, it sounds like how you can sort of pull this into a parking lot or a, or a street and activate that and create these sort of pop-up, you know, spaces for community learning. Mm-hmm. And I really cool. mentioned that the whole, I think, you asked me about this, but the whole point of it moving is to break down as many barriers as possible. So like, like yeah. I talked about earlier, if you are never seeing architecture, how would you ever know? Um, unless someone tells you about it, how would you ever know to, to pursue a workshop? And, you know, there are a few mm-hmm. places here that have architecture workshops, but you know, you might need to get downtown, which could be a, a barrier for you. Yeah. Um, so the point of us moving is that we can come to you. Um, we always go to the school. We, we have had very few workshops where people have to go somewhere else to get to mm-hmm. it. Um, so that's really the point of putting it on wheels. I love that. I just, oh, so wonderful. So I think that you've been touching on this a, a lot, but, um, what do you believe is the role of the built environment in supporting inclusion yeah I mean I think that I wish the built environment supported inclusion and I don't think Mm -hmm. that it is right now 
Um, I think that right now the the built environment is kind of in a way, or maybe even the architecture field in a way is kind of negatively impacting inclusion. And and I think that some of these topics are trendy right now. And I think, you know, I think like if we talk about like ADA, like that wasn't a thing before. And then people stood up and said, this is really important. And now it's just mm-hmm. a mainstream thing that's in all of the codes. So I think, yeah. I think inclusion is heading that way. Um, but it's that's not, I'm not there yet. So, I think- so like, what would you, so, so what do you see that's wrong? Sort of like if I, I love the ADA example, cause it's so tangible and you can think of like what's wrong and ways to solve it. So like, can you t- just give an example of, of something that you see that's sort of wrong and how, how you could sort of think of that as a new way of, of solving it on a larger scale? Yeah, I probably have two examples i mean just if you just think of like being in a downtown and there's like a skyscraper yeah there's nothing there's nothing that is telling you oh wow i'm gonna go walk in there because that place is for me you know Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. as like a a young person of color Mm -hmm. those places are are literally not for them um Mm -hmm. and so I think just on a basic level, inclusion um, in buildings is, you know, it really has to be designed in. I think mm-hmm. Another example I have is like, I forget, there's a, there's a cute name for it, but it's like designing to not include. <laughs> so there's clearly a better there <laughs> of it. It's like, I'm so curious now. It's like designing things specifically so people can't do something. So, you know, we see uh-huh. benches. Um, oh, yeah. Move, yeah, that like cut cut off so, <laughs> so you can't sleep on them. Or, or skateboard or, yeah. yeah. So there's so many things. There's like way more design to, is disclude a word? I don't know. To yeah. not include. I'm along for it then yeah <laughs> more design out there to not include exclude exclude so exclude oh, yeah. that that yeah. would be it yeah that's the word <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah design for exclusion and it's like yeah. no we need to to kind of like ban design for exclusion and allow allow for you know i it's interesting to me because i feel like a lot of what you're talking about, I feel like our, our experiences have been so different. However, I come from a background where, so I, I studied um, psychology years before I discovered environmental psychology, which is the, the only reason that I came to architecture and really just my passion. And mm-hmm. so everything that we design, like to me, it's just, well, it's always about the people. And I think um, it is fascinating to hear that experience of like, well, it's, it's really not um, it, like, yes, it, it feels like it should be. And I think that the public generally thinks of it that way. But then when you're in that profession, it's really, it doesn't feel like we are um, really thinking 
outside the box of architecture like like to your example of walking past a skyscraper it's like oh no no i thought about the skyscraper as like an object Mm -hmm. and it's like but it's not like (laughs) it creates a the fabric and the landscape that everyday people walk past all the time and it's giving them a message and that message Mm -hmm. is that this isn't for you um and i feel like that's totally unacceptable um and it has been, and I, you know, it's, um, God, man, that's so interesting. So I was just thinking of like the last time that environmental psychology had a, um, like sort of in, in where we looked at what are, um, public, like why are public places so important and how do people interact and engage and, um, was probably, you know, the sixties or seventies. Um, so it's just fascinating to watch, like, as you get older, you're like, oh, things do cycle and repeat. And like, I I just hope that we get better, um, and make fewer of the same mistakes. Yeah. Um, probably going to take a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, it's it's been too long. (laughs) Um, I'm like, we knew all of this. We knew all of this a long time ago. Why? Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I struggle sometimes with like, with that, where it feels like, but it's not, I was, I, I recently gave a, a presentation and um, I was talking about, are you familiar with social determinants of health? No. So basically social determinants of health is the idea um, that our health is, um, is only, you know, let, I think when we think of like health, a lot of times we like think of um, clinical care and maybe we think of physical activity and nutrition, mm-hmm. but the social determinants of health are, are everything that determines your health. So everything from socioeconomic status to where you live to, um, you know, whether or not you exercise and how you eat and, um, and you know, your access to care, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, so the built environment, depending on the study that you look at, um, makes up 10% of us, uh, like in a, in some of the statistical models, I always go like, well, how are we measuring this? Because I think that it's one of those underlying affordances where nobody would say, oh, well, because your building was designed like that, like nobody wanted to walk down that street and people mm-hmm. felt like anxious and like over the course of you know uh, a lifetime of having to walk down that street every day it impact like um it impacts people and it, it was really interesting to me because at the end of the presentation um so i talked a lot about like architecture as public health um and how we have to collaborate with one another um and i had a lot of people ask like well like do you believe that people have worse health outcomes, um, especially minority populations that are in um, environments that are, you know, less hospitable? And I was like, uh, like, I don't, it's not a matter of belief. Like it's so much scientific uh, uh, evidence to that fact. It's sort of like saying, do you believe that cigarettes are bad for your health? I mean, it's just like, you're just saying the most obvious thing in the world. And, um, I think that the way that you're helping open up the eyes of people when they're younger, um, to not only think about like the built environment, but to, like 
how are we serving and how how are we thinking about problems and how are we questioning um, the status quo um, for the betterment of all? I mean, it's just super exciting um, to I see. Think, so. I think the real thing is like hoping that some of those kids grow up and then yes. become the Disney yes. who like yes. stop stupid thing from happening. <laughs> I mean, yes. we're saying that it's so obvious but then why why is it still okay that we're building no unhealthy buildings for people like it, it's happening constantly yes yeah um yeah i love that i love i love that vision and i feel like you guys are making a big dent in it um so so um one of the things i had talked about is like when you think about design as a noun and a verb so meaning like design as a thing that you create versus design as the process that you go through in order to create, um, you know, the thing that you create. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So um, I was wondering, what do you think needs to be considered in both when we think about design to be more inclusive? So I think that you talked a little bit about like design as the noun. So how do we like not design for exclusion? Um, But maybe what about like our process of designing? What do you think needs to change? Um, I think that we need to obviously have a very diverse um, group of people doing the designing. So I think that's a huge mm-hmm. part. And also there's not enough designing with the community that you're designing for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so- Way more. Yeah, we we need to why are we why are we coming up with a design and then saying, Oh, this this must be right and then like not Who asking, are you? Yeah, and then not asking anyone what they think of it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's insane. Um and that's another thing that seems obvious that just is happening all of the time. And finally we have, you know, sometimes we need to have a public meeting or Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't even change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that the community or the people who are going to be affected should be, um, you know, talked to right at the beginning and they should be part of the design process instead of, you know, right now I feel like it's seen as like a burden, like, oh, we have to get past the public meeting and then we're good. You know, they should just, mm-hmm. you know, part of the design process. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I just think, you know, how much better our, our communities would be if it was both more accessible to be a part of the design process and just like more normal aspect. I think to that same, it's like, and and what's the research following your design of that that you're going to be held accountable to that's, that says like, oh, you know, that, that it had, had um, positive effects on on the people in the community. Yeah, totally. And I think that's something that, you know, with sustainability, another very trendy thing that, you know, I don't know if it's actually changing anything to have like our level of sustainability that we're at now in the field, mm-hmm. you know, it's slightly better, but it's not, you know, mm-hmm. making huge waves. Um, mm-hmm. But that very often doesn't need to be actually like charted there there doesn't need to be like any data 
afterwards after building a building to say oh this is actually working (laughs) yeah yeah it's like oh you had all the right intentions okay good yeah go ahead and Mm -hmm. yeah we should be doing that for sustainability too but let's also do it for you know how people actually feel yeah the building yeah yeah totally um okay so maybe um my last question would just be when you know, I, I feel like you've really created uh, a space for connection and been a real community builder wherever you go. Um, and I would wonder sort of what's your takeaway um, or what, what would be like something that you'd want to pass on to others about how to build community um, wherever you are? Hmm. I think that... Let me think about it for a sec. <laughs> yeah, take your time. I think that the biggest thing is just being open and like listening and hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so huge and it's something that we often just skip over when we're, we're designing or mm-hmm. when we're trying to solve problems. I think that biggest thing is just to sit down and like have a conversation and I think that is building community and you can kind of go from there yeah I like that awesome so can you share with us your plan for going forward not only you know I'm, I'm kind of curious right now during this pandemic and then thinking about you know this this next school semester that's coming up and for the future overall Can you share with us a little bit more about your plan? Yeah, so this summer is going to be an interesting one, definitely. We're going to try the, actually the truck is kind of an opportunity just because it's it's Mm -hmm. outside and uh, we can easily do like a pop-up. And so we're talking to another nonprofit about kind of partnering to do a few pop-ups around the city and then... Mm -hmm. We're actually maybe doing a design build program with a small group of kids because we just got kind of a large grant and it's going to allow us to do um, some kind of program where the kids are designing and then building out like actually with their own hands um, in small scale. So a community garden or, you know, transforming a lot or something like that. Um, so we- ah, I just love it. I'm like, I just want to like hug you through the microphone. I'm just like, yes, yes we need it. Yeah. I mean, it, hopefully that can happen this summer. And I mean, that's really the plan. That's what the truck is for is to actually do real projects. Um, yeah. This fall, hopefully we can start getting back to kind of our normal programming where we're going into schools, mm-hmm. um, maybe doing some kind of hands-on program and the truck Mm -hmm. is also going to help us do more like construction and um you know things on the laser cutter and 3d printer Mm -hmm. so hopefully we can kind of start expanding um our workshops and i would say the the big goal is a lot of people are like oh are you going to have a fleet of vans (laughs) and oh wow (laughs) right now it sounds daunting but Uh, maybe 
there we could definitely have a few of these trucks in the future mm-hmm. um but the the grand plan is to have kind of a hub and you're talking mm-hmm. about like making community places making places for connection i'm hoping mm-hmm. that this is kind of a place where the trucks um you know the trucks are sleeping there at night mm-hmm. um and then it's kind of a buzz with activity during the day where we're having you know a bunch mm-hmm. of different types of workshops happening throughout the week mm-hmm. um, but then it could also be kind of a gallery where we show show off kids you know the kids work yeah. Um, it could be a place to do kind of different programming and have people come in. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, again, like this, this safe space where, you know, people are learning and having fun and meeting new people. Um, and then also yeah. like you know, building different, a lot of different skills. Yeah. Can I, can I say like when, um, I hear that, uh, I just feel like I feel this sense of belonging for some of these kids that maybe maybe feel like don't fit in other places or maybe don't don't have that that joy elsewhere and I I think um you know that's like just one of the greatest gifts that we can give people and one of the most important things around like loneliness and social connection is, is a sense of true belonging um and the way that you know, you're helping them to express themselves with their hands and with their minds and to listen to one another. I just, it's a special thing you're doing, man. It's special. <laughs> I mean, that's really the hope. Like people ask me like, how do you know if it's working? And I think like I get joy by seeing like the one kid who was really quiet, like totally come out of their shell during mm-hmm. the final presentation. And so like mm-hmm. me, that that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I just like I can hear your smile and I love it. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, Maya Bird Murphy, I so appreciate your time and I appreciate what you're doing. Um, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I had a wonderful time. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Shared Space. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe wherever you're listening and head on over to Apple to give us a review. It really helps to spread the word and we really appreciate it. I hope that your day is filled with honest emotion, kindness, and connection. Thanks so much and take care.